This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Seidman. It's time once again for your weekly wrap-up, and we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about today, including uh, the HD Home Run Premium TV provider, facing a lawsuit. It's a very complicated situation, and we'll try to get uh, some explanation of that in a minute. Uh, We'll also look at Samsung dropping Blu-ray players from its hardware lineup and what that might mean for the future of physical media when it comes to movies. I changed the title of the weekly wrap-up on YouTube, and I'll talk about how that has impacted viewership. Linus Tech Tips has issued content ID notifications that impacted a lot of smaller creators. We'll talk about how the content ID system works and how uh, perhaps this situation could have been avoided. And we'll explore more about fair use because we had a lot of discussions last week in regards to the Verge uh, copyright takedowns. And there's more to talk about, including taking a look at a fair use suit that was successful that I think is very similar uh, to what happened with the Verge debacle there. So lots to talk about now. Let's get to it. Before we begin, I want to thank our newest supporters here on the channel. Steve Shade and Frank Choi gave via my donor box page. Simon Rolfe and Pavel Taranen gave via Patreon. And then we have Ron G and Kenneth Markert, who contributed during a live stream I did the other night, which I'll talk about in a second via Super Chat. So I want to thank everyone who contributed to the channel this week and everyone who's been contributing on an ongoing basis, along with all of you who watch on a regular basis too, because all of those things equal channel growth. So let's take a look now at the Week in Review. On the Extras channel, we unboxed and took apart a new NVMe SSD Thunderbolt 3 drive from Sabrent. You can see that linked on screen there. Uh, We also unboxed the uh, mini PC from Leva called the Q2, which was a very tiny little mini PC. That, incidentally, uh, we reviewed this week on the main channel, and that video did really, really well for me. So we had Uh, Well over 14,000 views in the first 48 hours or so of that video's existence, which is great for this channel. So I want to thank everyone who tuned in for that. Uh, We also had a pretty long uh, video about setting up a Synology NAS, especially some of the larger ones that offer you many more choices. We kind of dug through the entire setup process and uh, went from start to finish on that. So if you've been thinking about getting a Synology NAS, this video might be helpful to you. We're going to do two more videos on the uh, NAS that was in that a video uh, in the next two weeks or so, so stay tuned. And on Saturday night, because my wife and kids were out of the house, I decided to do a little live stream. Uh, we finally got my FPGA Mr. device set up, and we ran the Genesis, the Super Graphics, and a whole bunch of uh, old classic computers as well. You can check out that stream uh, linked down below in the video description. It was about two and a half hours. It's funny how time just kind of melts away when I'm doing live streams, but I have an index Uh, on that video so you can jump to some of the more important parts of it. So there's lots of cool stuff to check out down below in the video description. Now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind, and this is week 104 of me doing this as a full-time occupation. And if you do the math, that equals two years. In fact, I started on uh, March 1st, 2017, full-time. It doesn't feel like it's been two years, but it has been, and things continue to go well here on the channel. We had a good growth year 
uh, last year as we did the year before that. So it's amazing when you can finally focus your time on something, how that actually does result sometimes in a successful outcome and things are continuing to move in a good direction. And I hope to be continuing doing the same thing this year. So hopefully that will continue. Uh, Another thing on my mind this week is my uh, visit from Comcast. So you'll recall last week I was talking about how my uh, local donut shop had a better upstream bandwidth on the LTE service than uh, my Comcast service did. And Comcast wrote to me on Twitter and said, hey, we want to check out your service. And I said, you know, this is a speed issue. I'm trying to buy more speed. You don't have any to offer me. They said, we want to check out your account anyhow. So they did. They ran a test. This is all being done via Twitter. Uh, and they discovered there were some issues with my modem that was going on. So they sent out a tech who showed up the next day, and he came in and took something off the uh, wall over there. It was like a signal dampener that the last guy who was here had put on. And he said, I think that's going to fix your problem. And my problem was the live streaming that we've been talking about uh, over the last couple of weeks where I was getting a lot of drop-offs whenever I would try to do a live stream here. Uh, He thinks they may have fixed that, and given the fact that our live stream the other night went for two and a half hours without any hiccup that I could see, uh, I think perhaps it might be working better. So we're going to start maybe pushing my upstream bandwidth a little bit as far as these live streams go and see how things uh, flesh out. So I might do those on the extras channel in case we hit the limit and have to experiment a little bit more and not fill up your feeds too much. But I'm going to try to get around a four to five megabit per second upstream 1080p uh, and see how long we can sustain that for. And then we'll make a judgment as to whether or not it's actually working and maybe plan more live streams as a result. So I'm excited that perhaps maybe they did actually fix something. And uh, again, my advice to all of you is that if you have a problem with Comcast, uh, complain via Twitter uh, because they respond quicker than their customer service people do over the phone. And they're also very good about respecting what you know Uh, So they don't often have you do stupid things that you know you already tried, where sometimes on the phone they make you do that. So give it a shot. Comcast Cares actually does care, although I still think that they're a monopoly that's hurting innovation in my area, which needs to be addressed. But in this instance, they did right by me. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye. And this is kind of a big story involving our occasional sponsor, Silicon Dust, the makers of the HD Home Run. The Alliance for Creativity and Entertainment, which represents a number of major broadcasters, uh, filed a lawsuit against Omniverse One World Television. Now, Omniverse is the provider of the HD Home Run Premium TV service that allows you to stream cable networks uh, through your HD Home Run box over the internet. So if you have an over-the-air box that's getting antenna channels, you can supplement those channels with cable channels, and it works pretty well. Uh, They did have an issue that's still ongoing with a number of uh, Discovery Channel-owned networks that disappeared because they uh, took them off of Omniverse's offering, and it looks like this lawsuit might be part of this. And HD Home Run is not the only service using it. Uh, There's Skystream TV and others that are being impacted by the suit. What's interesting, though, is that there hasn't been a cease and desist here, at least not yet. So the services are all still operating, but the lawsuit uh, has been filed and is creating some ripple effects here. So the other day, uh, Amazon took the HD Home Run app off of their app store in addition to a few other apps that were using Omniverse as the provider of content. Now, if you have a Fire TV, the app will still work if you have it already installed. If you don't have it installed, you can sideload it using uh, the downloader app that AFTV News put together or uh, some other means to get it onto your device. They have now an APK download 
uh, on HD Home Run's website for that. So it is an inconvenience at this point, but you can still get it to work with your Fire TV. It's just that Amazon uh, took off that app along again with others that are using Omniverse services until I guess this lawsuit is uh, worked out. Now, HD Home Run, Silicon Dust, made a statement on this. They said they're not a party to the lawsuit, uh, but we can be indirectly affected by Omniverse not being able to continue their service. And so we are in the process of finding out a best way to mitigate any potential interruptions to our service. And we'll let customers know as soon as we know if there will be any change to the current services. And I asked them if there is a change or anything happening to let me know. And I'll do an update video sometime midweek if there is anything. Uh, So stay tuned in case there is any updated news, and we'll do a special video about that. Now, Omniverse, for its part, uh, has issued its own statement, which doesn't say much, but it looks like they're going to try and settle this case, which might be the objective of uh, the alliance here in the first place that's suing them. Uh, So Omniverse said, consistent with our shared goals for the industry, Omniverse intends to engage quickly and constructively with plaintiffs and their legal counsel. So this is all I've got or anybody's got on this story at the moment. We'll have to keep an eye on how those discussions go between Omniverse and the uh, ACE group there. And when things develop and change, I will let you know what those developments are. And Christopher Dale posted this story that Samsung is getting out of the Blu-ray player market here in the United States Uh, This is the second brand in the last year or so that has pulled out of Blu-ray player manufacturing. The other one was Oppo uh, that was making those really high-end players. They couldn't see a real market here moving forward, and it looks like on the lower end, uh, Samsung is having some trouble too. I don't think, though, that this spells the end of physical media for movies. I think it's going to transition to something like uh, Laserdisc was back in the 90s, where you may have one single manufacturer of players, or maybe one or two or three, uh, and that's going to be about all the market can really afford to support. I do think, though, that there will be enough of a market to sell the movies on an ongoing basis on disc, and to some degree, this might actually push the uh, content creators to give us really high-quality versions of those movies. One of the things that Laserdisc did really well in the 90s was bringing these really well-put-together Uh, versions of popular films. Very high video quality, uh, great audio, uh, really nice uh, album covers with a lot of supplementary material inside of them, printed material and whatnot. It was a really high-end enthusiast experience, and I think that's where physical media is going to go back to. At the time that the Laserdisc thing was at its peak uh, was also the time when most consumers were buying their movies on VHS, and there was a real difference between the two. DVD kind of merged those two uh, groups of customers together uh, because they were inexpensive, a lot less expensive than Laserdisc, and uh, it was something that consumers adopted. So both the enthusiasts and the consumers were using the same thing for a while. But I think we're starting to diverge again, and I know that my high-quality 4K Blu-rays look a lot better than my streaming services do, and I'll continue buying them just like I bought Laserdiscs back in the 90s. But things are going to change, unfortunately, And I think we're going to see a bigger focus from studios and manufacturers on streaming uh, versus physical media for the foreseeable future. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And our first question comes in here from Biramoose, who is noticing that I have changed how I title the wrap-up every week. Uh, So what I used to do was what you see here at the bottom with weekly wrap-up 236. I would start it off with that. Uh, But the other day, back on February 4th, I had a bunch of topics that I was trying to fit into my title, and I couldn't get them in there if I left weekly wrap-up in there. Uh, So I said, you know what? The 
thumbnail has the weekly wrap-up in there, so why not just get rid of it and just put the topics in there? And that did result in a better outcome here. Check this out. So one of the cool things about the uh, new YouTube studio is they have this thing where it'll show you how your video is doing compared to other ones that you uploaded at that period of time. So for example, I took this screenshot 14 hours and three minutes into the life of last week's wrap-up video. And sure enough, out of the last 10 videos I uploaded, including the reviews, uh, this one had the most views in that period of time. Now, other videos might do more over a longer period of time, but in that initial 14-hour period here, uh, it did better. And check it out. The week before did better as well. Uh, and even uh, the week before that is on the top 10 here. So this definitely has resulted in a little bit of a better outcome. And I suspect that as people are browsing through, uh, they weren't seeing the topics and they weren't really looking at the thumbnail because there's a lot in the thumbnail too, which might be another thing I have to look at. And uh, perhaps this topical-based title actually resulted in people who had an interest in that topic tuning in. It might have also better informed some search uh, options as well if people were searching for things. So I'm going to keep doing this because it seems like it's working, and I'm kind of kicking myself for not doing it sooner. Now, this next topic comes to us from Eric Brunhammer via the Facebook group because he woke up the other day to a bunch of copyright claims uh, on his channel from Linus Tech Tips, and he was not happy about that, and it looks like he was not alone here, as you can see from a post he made later in that day. And of course, this generated the amount of drama you would expect it would. Uh, so Zip Zeolock here has a bit of a summation about what his take on the whole situation was in regards to how these claims got dished out. Because basically what happens here is that if you are a small channel, uh, you don't have access to the content ID system that larger channels do. And this is something that runs within YouTube. It's kind of outside of the DMCA in that it is governed by YouTube's terms of service, so they have their own separate process for this. Uh, so if I decide that I'm going to issue a copyright claim against you and you dispute it, uh, YouTube here is the arbiter. If I were to file a takedown request against you, not a content ID request, uh, then the uh, dispute resolution takes place in court. There's a big difference here, and to some degree, the content ID is a lot more efficient in that manner. Uh, what Content ID does is that if you have access to it as a creator, it takes a fingerprint of every video that you upload. And when it notices somebody else uploading a video that contains the same fingerprint as what you uploaded, it lets you as the content creator know that it's there and you have the option to take some uh, steps to protect your work. And what's nice about Content ID is that it goes beyond just takedowns. Uh, you have some additional options available to you. So for example, I could decide, you know what, I'm not gonna take your video down but I just want to track it. And when you select track as a content ID holder, uh, that means that uh, I can just get the analytics from your video and your video can stay in place. You can continue to monetize it. Uh, everything is fine. In fact, you might have received one of these notices over the years where it says you don't have to do anything, nothing's going to happen, uh, and you're fine. And usually when you get one of those uh, notices that doesn't say much, it really means that the content holder is just keeping an eye on the analytics of your video. Now, the other option, and I think this is what Linus Tech Tips had on by default, is to have the video monetized. And what this means is that your video stays up, but I, as the copyright holder, will earn all the revenue from that video. That's something that you have the right to do as a content ID participant. You got to make sure that the content you're claiming is your own, which we'll get to in a minute here, because in this case, that wasn't necessarily the case in every instance. But it is a way to... 
uh, I think actually allows some creativity here because uh, back in the early days of YouTube, a lot of people were doing these lip syncs and funny things to copyrighted songs. And the law at that point said, take down the video if you want to protect your uh, copyright holdings. Content ID gives some more flexibility to allow fans to do things with copyrighted content uh, should the owner of that content be okay with it. And the exchange sometimes is, okay, we'll let you leave the video up and build your profile, but we're going to monetize the video. So that's the other option that you can pursue, and that's what most uh, I think most channels do. Now, the third option is something called block. And what this means is that your video is not going to be taken down, uh, but you won't be able to have anyone watch it. So it's not quite a takedown, uh, but it's something that prevents the video from being displayed uh, anywhere on YouTube if the content holder decides to do a block. Now, with Content ID, the impact to your channel is relatively minimal uh, insofar as that these things do not issue strikes against you. So if I do a DMCA takedown of three of your videos, that is three immediate copyright strikes and you're off the platform. That's a pretty significant punishment. With Content ID, uh, there are no strikes issued, but you do have to deal with the consequences of having your video monetized, for example, or maybe blocked off the platform altogether. Now, if you decide that my claim is not valid, you can issue a dispute. And the first step is that the dispute goes to the person who issued the Content ID claim. So if I had some you know, stock footage that I'm claiming is my own and you know that it is uh, not my right to do that, you can dispute that with me. I've got 30 days to respond, and I can decide, okay, you know what, you're right, I'm gonna release the claim, and you get your monetization back. The nice thing about YouTube now is that they hold the revenue earned during the dispute period in escrow, which means that the video will accrue its revenue, and then whoever wins the dispute essentially gets access to the accrued revenue and the revenue moving forward. It used to be that the other owner would get access to that money immediately and you would never see it back even if you were successful. And I had a few claims in the past that were held for the full 30 days and the other side never responded. So it can be a pretty long and scary period of time, uh, especially if you're losing money as a result of that. But the good news is if you're successful, you get the money uh, back that was earned during the dispute period. Now, if I dis answer your dispute and say, nope, that's mine, you can't have access to the revenue, you do have the right to file an appeal. And at that point, YouTube takes a look at it and decides whether or not you're in the right or not. And then if the other side isn't happy with that, then they can issue the takedown and you can keep going further through the court process. So it's not an, an end all here, but it is certainly better than having a lot of strikes issued against your channel. Uh, but because this kind of operates outside of the DMCA and the consequences on the copyright holders are not as severe for making false claims, there are a lot of false positives that happen out there. And I do think that in many cases, some of these larger channels have probably earned a lot of revenue based on some false claims that the other side never appealed, and they probably should have. And that's been an ongoing issue that I've had with Content ID. Now, I think what happened in this situation, and Linus kind of alluded to this himself in his response video that he did the other day, is that all of these channels that were getting claims against them had some kind of benchmark running, like 3D mark or something like that, that Linus also ran in his videos. And Content ID saw the same content, even though Linus doesn't own the 3D mark imagery. Uh, they saw that in Linus's video. They then saw it on all these other videos. And then Content ID started issuing these automatic monetization claims against anyone who had that benchmark running in their video. And it's often hard to stop this because 
if they make an algorithmic change to content ID that improves its sensitivity, and all of a sudden, all these videos start getting claimed, it just happens all at once, and you can't stop it. And I think that's probably what occurred here. Now, Linus doesn't appear to actually do this himself. It looks like his MCN full screen uh, does it on his behalf. And full screen, of course, has a lot of large creators under their umbrella, and they all live within the full screen's content ID window. So all these different channels that are under full screen's control have all of their content being matched to somebody at full screen who goes through all of it. And this is where I think uh, they should have done better because if you claim a video as your own in content ID, you can also say, hey, portions of this video are not mine and I don't want you to match them. So what somebody at full screen should have done is they should have looked at these videos where there were things that Linus doesn't own and they should have marked those as exclusions, which you can do. Uh, And if you do that, then this doesn't happen. But it takes a little bit of time when those videos get uploaded to actually go through and do that. And I think for all the money that full screen takes from Linus, they could probably spend a little bit of time and not hurt his brand like they did here. Because had they done their homework, and had they gone through and actually marked off sections of his video that shouldn't be claimed, none of this would have happened, and he wouldn't have... Uh, this tarnish on his brand. And this is another reason why I don't like MCNs. They take a lot of money from you and provide really little service as a result. Linus could easily be doing this himself through uh, Content ID and not have to involve these folks, but they really did him wrong here. And I think they, uh, first of all, should apologize. And secondly, they really need to be focused on making sure that they're not claiming things that are not in their control. Because the thing that really gets me here is that The only time these monetization claims uh, get appealed is when you do dispute them. So if there are thousands of channels that are getting hit with this and only a dozen or so or maybe 10% actually go through the dispute process, uh, then they're going to be earning money off of people's videos that they have no right to be earning from. But because those folks didn't file an appeal or they just don't care, uh, it's going to result in not a huge windfall, I'm guessing, but still some a degree of revenue from full screen that I don't think they should be earning at all. So that's what this is all about. Um, So it really requires, I think, people who are in Content ID to be responsible about it and making sure that they do exclude sections of videos that uh, might result in a mass claim like like what happened here. Because this kind of runs automatically, and if you set up your parameters to say, claim all videos with X percent of my content in them, This runs amok, and it takes a lot of work to undo it all. And again, no one's going to do anything unless somebody actually files a dispute in this case. So I think it's important uh, for everyone to do that if you got a claim. Otherwise, they're going going to be earning money off of you, and I don't think that is too cool at all. Now, our last question comes in from Cheng Bang in regards to the controversy we talked about last week about The Verge issuing DMCA takedown orders against YouTube channels that were criticizing their PC build video. Uh, They picked out two that they felt used the most of the original work in their video to kind of send a message to other creators to maybe back off of them a bit. And I got this uh, response from Cheng Bang, and I wanted to put it up because I think it's a a, a viewpoint that not a lot of people had in this whole thing, and I think it's worth discussing. Um, So he talked about a couple of things, but the big issue that he felt where I was wrong was that uh, the two creators in question here Uh, had used a good portion, if not all, of the original video in their criticism, and he felt like that uh, really did constitute a copyright violation. But unfortunately, I think, or maybe fortunately for us creators, 
uh, the law is a little bit more nuanced than just the amount. A lot goes into it. And I think what might be worth looking at uh, is the H3H3 case, which involved uh, H3H3 Productions making a video uh, commentating and critiquing a video that somebody else made. This guy named Matt Haas had done a video that they uh, just kind of lampooned and used a lot of clips of the original, probably a significant portion of the original work. And Matt Haas, the creator of that original video, decided to sue them for their critique, saying that it involved defamation and copyright infringement. And the Kleins, who are the owners of H3H3, uh, made their case on the fact that this was a fair use commentary and it resulted in a lawsuit that ended with a judgment, which is very unusual right now to have a YouTube creator who could actually afford to go to court and fight it out and establish some precedent here for long-form video, which is where all of this dispute and debate comes from, because this is a new medium that hasn't been tested like all the other mediums that have come before it, and I think this case is really important for that. Uh, so I wanted to just briefly run through the judge's order here and some of the factors that uh, she used in determining that that critique video that they did, even though it used a large proportion of the original work, was in fact fair use. And you can see the case here linked on screen. And what she considered were the four non-exhaustive factors of what fair use means. And that's what's so critical about this is that every case is different. So until we have a lot of cases that define these factors in different ways, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of the law being tested like this uh, as we move forward. But just as a basis here, uh, the factors that were considered was the purpose and the character of the use, including whether such use is of a commercial nature or is for nonprofit educational purposes. And of course, this is also referring to uh, the Klein's right to critique other work, and that becomes a big basis of this decision. Uh, the second factor is the nature of the copyrighted work, whether or not it is fiction or nonfiction. A fiction story probably has greater protection because the story itself is a uh, created work as opposed to a nonfiction story that might uh, talk about something that happened in the world that is factual and other people can talk about. So I can't just tell you the story of Star Wars and call it my own, uh, but I can tell you the history of World War II, for example, and be able to communicate something that other people might have told in a similar way. The third factor, the amount and substantiality of the portion used in relation to the copyrighted work as a whole, and that comes up in this case. And the fourth is the effect upon uh, how that use of the copyrighted work might hurt the potential market value for the original work. Now, if we go into the uh, decision itself, on the, the matter of copyright infringement, uh, the judge says that the Klein's use of the Haas video makes it clear that claim one, which is the copyright fair use argument, uh, must be decided in the defendant's favor. They weighed a whole bunch of different factors here, but they determined that the most important factor in this case was the criticism and commentary. She felt that that factor rose above the others. So let's take a look at some of the other factors and where uh, those uh, came into play. So remember, that second factor was the nature of the allegedly infringed work. Uh, Matt Haas argued that his video was a work of fiction, where the Kleins, H3H3, were saying, no, it was a work of nonfiction because Haas was saying that this was a story from his life that actually happened, and uh, the judge didn't buy that. So on the second factor, the judge said, you know what, they are wrong here, the defendants. Uh, Haas's video is a creative work, 
and therefore weighs against a finding of fair use because it was a work of fiction. But again, these are all different weights that you have to apply in the context of what was the work about. So they lost on uh, factor two, but they won on factor one. Now, the third factor here involves how much of the original work was used. And of course, this goes to the argument that some who have been defending The Verge say uh, makes this a clear-cut case of not being fair use. And in fact, in this case, the uh, defendants, H3H3 Productions, argued that the original uh, Matt Haas video made up only a small proportion of their video. However, the, the judge says the defendant's analysis gets the math backwards because uh, it really is a matter of how much of the original copyrighted work did you use to make your point. But the judge also says that the quantity alone is not determinative in a fair use argument. And if we continue on her uh, discussion in regards to this, uh, she dives deeper and says here, the extent and quality of importance of the video clips used by the defendants was reasonable to accomplish the transformative purpose of critical commentary. But she does say this factor is therefore neutral because a great deal of the plaintiff's work was copied, but such copying was plainly necessary to the commentary and critique. And again, you can see how nuanced this all is. It's not just how much you used, it's how you used it. And in this case, they used a good portion of the original video. And she says, the defendants are right, but the plaintiffs are also right here. So I have to factor in these other factors to make a full determination. And finally, with the fourth factor, uh, which is the argument that it would uh, detract from the commercial value of the original. Uh, the judge doesn't buy the argument from the plaintiffs because she says the Klein video does not offer a substitute. It does not and indeed cannot usurp a market that properly belongs to the copyright holder. And therefore, she weighs the fourth factor uh, in fair, as a fair use argument here. And ultimately, her decision again looks at whether or not this was legitimate commentary. Even though some of the other factors were a little bit weaker, uh, the fact is that because they were criticizing the other video and it was very clear that they were doing that throughout, uh, those factors of criticism weighed much more heavier in the judge's eyes than uh, some of these other matters here. So I think if the Verge thing ever went to court, it would have been an interesting case, but they were only arguing their case on the substantiality of the content used not the other factors of commentary, criticism, and in the case of 8-Bit with Kyle, uh, uh, parody, which is all protected under the law here. So I think they would have won, but it probably would have cost them as much as H3H3 would have had to spend to defend their case. Now, I am not a lawyer. I cannot give legal advice, but my suggestion would be uh, that if you are providing criticism of other creators and other creative works, uh, to look at this decision and have that factor into your thought process as to how you put your commentary together. And I would look at that video also because that video held up in court and others might as well. And this could be how you do it. And I think that's going to be really important as more and more uh, copyright holders like The Verge try to assert themselves legally against some of us smaller creators. And it also speaks to the importance of maybe getting an insurance policy to protect you against these kinds of claims I have one. It's very expensive, but I'm glad I got it. Now, my pick of the week this week is an absolutely crazy story that I read over the course of my little mini vacation called The Mastermind. I listened to it on Audible, and you can find the link there on screen. This story is about a man named Paul LaRue. It's a nonfiction story. Uh, Paul LaRue had done some encryption software called E4M, uh, and some of the code of that software became the foundation of TrueCrypt, which was an open source project that 
uh, involved drive encryption, and nobody really knew who the TrueCrypt team was, uh, just that the software was very good and very secure. And Paul LaRue went from doing that kind of software work to beginning a mail-order prescription drug company that was illegal, but made a lot of money, and it became a large criminal cartel with LaRue at the head of it. Uh, This included having private armies getting involved in crazy stuff in Somalia. At one point, he was importing meth from North Korea to uh, other parts of the world. Insane stuff that you would think has got to be completely fiction, but it's all true, and it's a very well-researched and sourced story. Um, Evan Ratliff, I think, took some risks with his own personal safety to write this book. Uh, LaRue is now sitting in federal prison here in the United States. He flipped on his co-conspirators, the people that work for him, uh, and has been had worked to get a lot of them arrested in the course of all this. It is just insane. you got to read this book if you're into this kind of stuff. I was just blown away by how somebody could do th- what he did and get away with it for so long. And it also speaks to how messed up the world can be as well and how powerful sometimes money can be in uh, getting away with murder, literally. And it's definitely a book that I was engrossed in and I highly recommend to you. So this week on the channel, we've got a couple of things coming up. Uh, I have got another video on that Synology NAS, and in this one, we're going to talk about why you might want to choose a Synology NAS with an Intel processor, even though they cost a little bit more than some of the other products in their product line. We'll take a look at all the different things that some of the higher-end devices can do, but the entry point to the high-end is only about 300 bucks, so you can actually get this uh, at a lower price point. It's not the Uh, NAS device you see on screen there. It's the dual drive version. We'll talk all all about that in that video. Uh, Keeping with the storage theme, I got in this Sabrent Thunderbolt drive that we took apart on the Extras channel. We'll have a full review of that a little later this week on the main channel here. And then I think in my mailbox right now, I'm going to run out after I finish this video and pick it up hopefully, I should have the new 8-bit dough wireless controller. I ordered one and then they apparently sent me one as well. So I will have two for when my analog Uh, Genesis console comes out in a few weeks, but this is a controller that was modeled after the six-button Genesis controller. We haven't had a lot of Sega-inspired retro-themed controllers lately, so it's good to see more options now popping up because it's sometimes hard to play the Genesis games with like a Super Nintendo layout here. You want the original uh, layout, and this one looks very close to the original, so we will put it through our usual barrage of tests, and it's amazing how much more detailed these game controller reviews have gotten over the years, but we'll try to test everything that we normally do, and hopefully we'll have that review up a little later this week. Now, if you want to help support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or one-time contribution to the channel. We also have my ongoing relationship with Plex, where you can make a, a Plex account with no credit card required, and we get a small commission for that. Or you can sign up for a Plex Pass or gift it to somebody else, and we'll get a slightly larger commission for those activities. I have other channels, including the Extras channel, where we unbox things and take them apart. I'm starting to do a couple of little random live streams there as well, just when we're testing things. Uh, we have my podcast at lon.tv podcast, which is an audio version of this show. We also have my Snippets channel, which is search-friendly portions of this show as well. And then we have my live stream archive at lon.tv slash live streams. We've done a lot of them over the years. There's tens of hours of content there of me blabbering away like this, so you might want to check those out if you want. And then if you like what I do, you can click on the bell to get notified every time we go live or do anything else on this channel. Subscribing, unfortunately, is no longer enough, so if you want more, click the bell. And then you can engage with the channel through my infrequent email list at lon.tv email. 
We have my Facebook group at lon.tv slash Facebook group and the Facebook page at lon.tv slash Facebook. The group has been really helpful in coming up with topics for this show in particular. Uh, we also have my store at lon.tv slash store. And if you are looking to buy things that I've previously reviewed here on the channel, I put them up on the store and I send out an email when I do, which you can get at lon.tv slash store alerts. That is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. I want to thank you all for your continued support and feedback. We've got a lot of stuff coming up this week and more to come in the future. And of course, I always value your thoughts and commentary and criticisms as well. So leave those for me down below in the comments section. Until next time, this is Lon Seibin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters Chris Allegretta, the Four Guys with Quarters podcast, Tom Albrecht, Anuj Zaveri, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.